All right, let's pour it up and get started. Gladly. What are we drinking today? We have a Tempranillo 2015 something or other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast with Cody Burton and Rebecca Scott. Cheers. Cheers. What are we talking about today? We are going to talk about first-time investors. First-time investors. All right. First-time investor mistakes, misses, all of the above. All of the above. Love it. Things that maybe we've seen time and time again because either people don't take our advice or they just don't believe us. Things that have us hitting our heads against the wall. And we just sit back and sip our wine. (laughs) Sure, do whatever you want. I only told you to do the opposite. That's okay. That's okay. Oh, I know. It's all good. I just had this couple that would do like 80% of what I said Mm -hmm. and then switched off like one little piece. For example, like with First Bank, with some of the programs they have, being able to put like 20% down rather than 25 on like larger Mm -hmm. properties and stuff like that. They were all down. They went with First Bank, but like Googled First Bank lender and mm. rather than the one I recommended. So it was like fine, right? It was a product I knew, but like this lender wasn't nearly as responsive as, you know, who we use. Right. And it was just like, I mean, that's not the point of this, but I was just like, really? You're going to go with who I said and the program I recommended, but make me work with somebody new that doesn't answer their phone for a day and a half at a time. Yeah. Um, I think with first-time investors, it's so interesting because you're excited about investing. Absolutely. I would say 90% of the time people come to us and they are researched. They are sold on real estate in general. And they have a good understanding of what they want to buy. Mm -hmm. However... Sometimes that's accurate, and sometimes we kind of have to talk them out of it, right? Yep. Yeah, we should definitely talk about research because, I mean, all four clients doing their due diligence, absolutely. Uh, Yep. You know, I absolutely do. But especially the way the market's gone the last few years, sometimes if that research you're doing is from 2018, 2017, like, it's not as applicable today. So I think that's one mistake I see a lot is just kind of unrealistic expectations. Yeah that maybe don't exist anymore. 100%. And it is so funny because I know we were talking about this earlier, but sometimes investors come to us and say, I don't want to be involved at all. Mm-hmm. Let me know when you got something or, you know, use your buy something you would buy. Get yep. me something that you would buy, right? And it's like, okay, I can do that, happy to. And then sometimes you have the first-time investors that are panicked because they want to invest and they're ready to invest. However, they are taking a huge leap of faith and they are very nervous about mm-hmm. it, which rightfully so. Makes total sense, absolutely. Both are very valid, you know? Um, so it is interesting to see the two different types of first-time investors. Yeah. What So what do you think you see as like number one mistake or number one misconception maybe? Number one misconception right now is how quickly it goes. Yeah. I oftentimes have clients who sit on money for three to six months. Yep. And six months is dramatic depending on their expectations, but usually it's, it's about two to three months yeah. that they're just sitting there waiting for me to present a deal to them. Well, I don't even think six months is dramatic. I mean, yeah. especially for 
um, you know, that maybe the first time investors that are a little bit nervous, yep, you know, they seem to want to like think about it and sleep on it and that sort of thing. And then, you know, I've I've had this happen twice already this year, and it's not even the end of February. Is I've presented a deal, they've gotten back to me, said yes, let's do it, and it's already gone. Absolutely. Because they, you know, I sent it to them at eight in the morning, and they got back to me eight the next morning, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, what about you? What do you think? I think the number one thing I see is just investors, especially those more nervous investors, mm-hmm. that underestimate or I guess overestimate your cash flow and then underestimate appreciation and basically forget about debt reduction. A hundred percent agree. Most people don't even take debt reduction into account. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of investors get into the first time investors get into this thinking they're going to be making a th- an extra thousand dollars a month. Right. Yeah. Off of their first property. And that's just not happening right now. No. Unless you buy in some podunk town in the middle of the US and you bought it for fifty grand and it's cash flowing a thousand and then in ten years it's worth fifty five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's not what you want to do. So I definitely no. think that having conversations about the importance of appreciation over cash flow mm-hmm. is crucial. And I have to have it with every single one of every my, client, every yeah. client. Yeah. Well, and especially for, you know, younger investors that have that time to yeah. build that appreciation to trade up. I do think there's a mindset of like, we're building it to build this portfolio and we're gonna buy one and then buy another one and buy another one and those are gonna be the ones we own when we retire. Yes. And there's no thought to like, well, step one, we're gonna get you in some heavily appreciating markets. Maybe it doesn't cash flow super well, but you don't need the cash flow right now. This is a long-term play. And then we can look at trading those up once they've appreciated into larger buildings where you do have more cash flow or into higher cash flowing markets when you know, maybe you're at an age where you're not as worried about that appreciation. I think people forget that it's a multi-tiered strategy, not just buy real estate, have it cash flow. Absolutely. What Speaking of that, what kind of product do you usually sell your first-time investors? Or is it any different? I mean, it's definitely different, but like anybody, it depends on the client themselves. Mm-hmm. I know one thing, when I can do it, and in this market, it's a little tough. I do like selling smaller individual units to first-time investors because then it's less of a shock when they have to do their first turn. Um, so I like doing that rather than like, you know, some of the places we have are like four-bedroom units. As a first-time investor, when you have to turn those, that can be a scary cost if you're not prepared for it. And are you saying, when you say smaller units, are you saying a single family? Or are you saying just smaller units, like two-bed, one-bath, and a duplex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smaller individual units. Got so. It. That's one thing I try to do. Like I said, you know, right now you can't be super picky. But yeah, so like a duplex, triplex, quad, where each of the units are maybe 700, 800 square feet rather than 1,800 square feet. Yeah. Because then it keeps those future costs a little bit down, um, especially for a newer investor that that might scare off a little bit. Absolutely. Um, You know, turnkey units when you can do it are nicer for newer investors because I think they get a little scared on just the capex that goes into it. I think there's a lot of mindset of like, we're spending all this money for the down payment and then, oh my God, we have to spend all this money right after it for those fixes. Um, so that's another thing. I know you were just saying you have a 
one under contract right now that's more turnkey. Yeah, it's rental grade, which is phenomenal. Um, but it's hopefully we don't have to do anything to it. Judging by the pictures, it'll be very minimal. And I like doing a shorter stabilization period for my first time mm-hmm. investors. That's the thing that I look at the most, quite frankly. I would rather them have maybe not quite as high as cash flow and have a shorter stabilization period just to calm the nerves. Mm -hmm. Because if you have an investor who has been saving up for X amount of months, years, whatever the case may be, they get into something and then they realize that they have to do 30 to 50 grand worth of work right after they close. And it's a six to eight month stabilization period before tenants are in there consistently paying and whatever the case may be. That freaks them out, and you get a, I get a lot of phone yeah. calls. Well, and it can be discouraging. Extremely yeah. discouraging, and stress is high. Mm-hmm. Right? Know, it's funny you say that, because I completely agree. And I almost think about it like um, Dave Ramsey, what he talks about, like the snowball method for mm-hmm. people in debt, like pay yeah. off your smallest credit card first and build from there. Um, I almost see that as being true in investing. If you buy something with you know, a short stabilization period, something that's more turnkey, you kind of get that early win, mm-hmm. then it boosts your confidence to maybe take on a little bit more of a project down the road. You can handle those bigger tasks and it snowballs that way. Absolutely. Um, I think that's where a lot of agents really hurt their clients because, you know, real estate is more, and we've talked about this a couple of times, real estate is so much more than just money here, like placing money here and yeah. putting it there. It's There's a lot of psychology that goes in on this. And so in order to keep that client and keep them happy, you want them, especially the first time, to be as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really target places that have quick stabilization periods. Um, and... That's honestly one of the number one things that I look yeah. for. I think that's really smart. And you know, it's funny you talk about psychology and all of that. I think, you know, I'm not gonna sit here on our podcast and say every single person needs to use us and work with us, right? Of course. But I do think there's an argument there for like, don't work with, you know, your uncle's friend that's a real estate agent and does like three retail deals a year to Good. buy your first duplex because it's it's going to be a nightmare for everybody. Good God, please don't do it when it comes to <laughs> investing either. I mean, truly, if you are a retail agent, please don't dip your toes in the investing world unless you've been trained properly. Right, unless that's what you're going to do. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's really scary to see that. You'll hear me say this a hundred times, but I majored in business and psychology, and I always tell people that I use my psychology degree way more than I use mm-hmm. my business degree. I believe it. Yeah. I'm sure you picked up some things that are invaluable for this yes. job. Yes. Yep. Yep. So it is fascinating. Um, and, and it's interesting because different clients worry about different things. And mm-hmm. this is more so with first-time investing. Yeah. Because especially if real estate is your first investment, it's also different, in my opinion, that I've noticed. If you have a large stock portfolio and you're just looking to diversify, mm-hmm. well, you've taken the risk of actually investing, yeah, right? absolutely. So you know what it's like to invest and you know that, that it's worth it, right? Mm-hmm. However, you're just looking to dabble in real estate and you just want to pay somebody to do that. Um, And so that is a whole different mentality just because um, it's not just the first time you're investing, period. It's the first time you're investing in real estate, which is so different. Yeah. A lot more anxiety comes with the first 
time you're investing, period. Mm. Well, because investing is a mindset, right? Like regardless of if you're investing in stocks, if you're investing in retail or real estate, if you're investing in private equity, like the details change, but the mindset really doesn't. Right. And so you're right. That first time investor that is choosing real estate for their first investment, it's a whole mindset shift that they have to have and you kind of have to help them through. Exactly. And then so many people, because markets are expensive and housing is Mm -hmm. very expensive, they're doing house hacking for their first investment property, Mm -hmm. right? And it's interesting to watch those people buy houses because they are buying it as an investment. However, there is some lifestyle sprinkled into that. It's not a 100% investment where they're never going to see it. They're never going to touch it. They don't care about it, Mm -hmm. right? It's well, I have to live here, so I, I need it to be this and that. And so it's interesting to see that as a first-time investor as well because it's different. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, you know, it's funny, going back to what you said initially about being two types of investors, kind of the nervous one, and then the, like, you do it, Hands you off. kind of buy what you would buy. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the nervous investor. The... Buy what you would buy, I think, for people who aren't agents, and maybe even for people who aren't agents that focus specifically on investment, might hear that and think, oh, my God, that's the client you want. Like, that's just going to give you money and be like, buy what you would buy. Those clients are the ones that make me the most nervous. Yep. Um, Because, which maybe sounds crazy for people not in the industry, but like, what I would buy is not what you should buy. Absolutely. Your goals are not my goals. Right. So it's really hard to essentially not have any goals to work off of. You know, well, mm-hmm. is it, do you want more cash flow? Do you want more um, appreciation? Do you want, um, what market do you want? You know, there's all these different things that we usually go through. And when somebody's like, here's my money, do with it. And it's like, well, <laughs> hold on here. <laughs> Hold your horses. I'm not going to buy something because I'm fine with a long stabilization period. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with taking huge risks. Maybe you're not. You right. know, I don't know your risk tolerance. I don't know why you're buying this or what the plan is half the time. So I need those kinds of details in mm-hmm. order for me to get a, cu- a custom investment property that makes sense for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like Michael and I, we've bought a lot of places that needed heavy capex, we've kind of focused in on that where we like the, you know, I hate to use the term, but like kind of the slumlordy properties that we can go in C-class. and fix up and make nice. But you know, the ones with a lot of deferred maintenance. Oh, D-class. Yeah. Yeah. D-class that we can turn into C-class. We've done sure. that a bunch of times with a bunch of different properties. It's worked out well for us. It also makes me feel good because yeah. like, we are helping this place out. We're like giving the tenants a safer, nicer place to live. Right. Because when you get to a certain level, like it's not just like comfort, but there is some like safety involved too when you have like age systems and things like that. Absolutely. But with the first time investor that's like, just buy me what you would buy, I'm not going to buy them that. Mm-mm. I would jump on it. But you're right, like long stabilization period, heavy capex, like there's a big reward. But also if that's, your first, second, third deal, right? that can get discouraging because you just feel like you're dumping money into a place forever. Um, so, I mean, you know, we talked about that when you kind of interviewed me for my story podcast, one of the original ones we released. 
is that was one of the big things I had coming into this as an agent, because I had been an investor previously, was dealing with those first-time investors who saw things as like this big problem. And it's, it took me a bit to be like, oh yeah, I guess that would be a big problem if I hadn't like dealt with it before. Yeah. And so that's what, I think that's honestly what's made me a little nervous about investors being like, just buy me what you would buy. Yeah. I'm like, why? I would buy this. Why, why don't you want to buy it? Yeah. And realizing that people's goals and people's risk tolerance is different. Um, and I think maybe that's the big thing that first-time investors don't realize is their risk tolerance is maybe different than one of my other investors or me or yeah. whoever. How do you feel about first-time investors managing their own properties for the first year? It can be very tough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it can be a bit discouraging, too. I mean, I can't tell anybody not to do it. We self-managed until we had five or six doors. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because, um, A, it can be discouraging if you're spending all of your time there, if you feel like you didn't buy an investment, you just bought another job, which is kind of how I felt for a little while. Mm -hmm. Because it was like all of my free time was going into this property, and that's not what I signed up for. For sure. That's not why we invest. Right. And I think especially for newer investors, it can be hard not to be emotionally involved, even if you're not managing it. Yeah. But for a first-time investor, especially like say you own a quad, right? And you put all this work into it, you're managing it yourself, you do these renovations, you get these properties, you know, beautiful and ready to be rented. And then you get a tenant in there that trashes it. And maybe that could have been avoided because they've been evicted twice and you didn't do a proper background check. Right. Like that's a really discouraging place to be. Yeah. Especially if you are more invested in it emotionally too. So, you know, I don't really recommend anybody self-manage. If you are going to self-manage, I almost think it's better to have a management company first, mm -hmm. learn what you're dealing with. And then, you know, maybe when you get to like retirement age and you want, you want another job, sure, go for it. But early on, I, not the route I would go. If I could go back, wouldn't do it again. So maybe this is a bit sadistic, <laughs> but I encourage first time investors to some, if they're in the area, if it's not, if in they're buying, their market, if yeah. they're buying in the market that they live in, I sometimes, it does depend on from client to client. So I don't do this for everybody, but so, a lot of people I'm like, I think you should manage it the first year, especially if they're very inquisitive and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm like, learn the process and then you'll appreciate your property manager. <laughs> yes, you will. I'm serious because I have had so many people like, I don't want to give, you know, my property management company eight to 10%. It's like, okay, do it yourself. <laughs> and I don't even mean that in a spiteful way. It's more just like, honestly, do it yourself. And then you will appreciate your property manager so much. Yeah. And then that doesn't seem like that much money. <laughs> right. And then you maybe get lower rents because you didn't realize how high the rents should have been or the property after your tenant moved out, it took you 30 days to turn it and mm -hmm. get a new tenant in there. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And it's like, well, that's because you didn't do the process of 90 days before there, you know, like this whole 
the whole process that these property managers do and everything that they go through and also the way that people speak to property managers. I If somebody spoke to me <laughs> that was living in my house, like I overhear some of these property manager conversations be, oh my word, yeah, that's not... That's not what I want in my life. I don't need that Absolutely kind of negativity not. in my life. I am so appreciative of every single property manager that I have because they do an incredible job, but I know mm-hmm. it's not easy. And it seems like all they do is sit around and collect rent checks. No. Not mine. Not not mine. No, their phones are ringing off the hook all the time. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You can get those sort of tenants or you run the risk of getting the opposite. You get a great tenant that you form a relationship with. Yes. And then it becomes personal and not business. You know, we bought a quad last year down in the Springs, prime area of the Springs on the west side. Very, very nice unit. Probably one of our nicer units from purchase that we've bought. Mm-hmm. And three of the units were not market, honestly, not that close, but not like crazy far off. One of the units was a lady. She had lived there since 2001. She'd become friends with the previous owner, um, you know, kind of did little things, took out the trash, kind of made sure that was it. But they were on like a texting relationship. Mm-hmm. Her rent in 2021, when we bought it, was $520 a month. Market is $1450. Yeah. So you have that owner. And I'm not saying if a, you have a good tenant, don't like cut him a little deal. Sure. sure. But 520 a month for the last 20 years. No, that doesn't work. It, do, like, it doesn't at work. At the end of the day, you're running. a. It's a business. It's an mm-hmm. investment. It's not a charity. You can't just give your money away. Right. This is a for-profit business. Yeah. And that's what you risk self-managing is making friends with the tenants. That's and it's, such a good point. I. I absolutely didn't even think about that, but it's so true because I did that on when we moved out of our first house and rented it mm-hmm. out. We were, I wouldn't say friends by any means because they definitely stole our identity, but we <laughs> That's were on- That's a story I haven't heard. Oh, yes. It is uh, probably dedicated for an we, entire We may podcast. need an episode on that. Yeah. We'll bring Michael Scott in and you can hear- everything that he went through. Oh, no. It was bad. Like, they tried to refinance our house. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a story yes. for a future yes. day. Yes. It, it, it's bad, bad. <laughs> anyway, we're still dealing with it. But um, I didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. right? So they stole our identity. I was 99% sure it was them because we had a tax document go to that house because mm. um, we had just moved and it was during tax season and just didn't think to change our address with the IRS. And so they stole our identity. I think they sold it to somebody is what I really think happened. But I'm over here trying to evict them. Right, yeah. I don't know what to do. So, of course, I'm calling, you know, the head people here at Atlas Property Management. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, please help me, help me. And because I'm panicking, I've never been, you can't just Google this and figure it out. You know, like even eviction process, like, sure, I can Google that and figure that out. But I need grounds to evict them. You can't just evict somebody for no reason here in Colorado. So I'm calling property management, asking what I have to do, what have you. And they're so kind here. And he just told me, he was like, Bex, I'm going to help you. But I just want you to know, this is why you hire property management. (laughs) And I looked at him and I was like, 
Thank you so much. I trust you with my entire life. (laughs) You are absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. And it's just true. There are things that come up that we don't know how to deal with, you know. And so he helped me with all this and I had to he got the reports that I had to file and this and that. And and um, from then on out, I was like. Property management ain't so bad. Yeah. Because what is bad is if I almost lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we fortunately have not been in that situation. But uh, we've done the like renting to acquaintances, renting same. to friends things. You inevitably like cut them a little bit of a deal and which is all well and good. Sure. But especially if you're trying to grow your portfolio, you do that a dozen times. And it adds up like and you don't realize until you sit down how much money you've given away. And when you do, you're like, oh, my God, that's more than eight percent. I would have paid a property manager for sure. And when margins are already tight, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of room. No. And, you know, maybe they don't take as good of care of things as you trusted them to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, great. I gave you a deal and you didn't return the favor. No. There's always that risk as well. Yep. And so it gets tricky, but those are first time home buyers or first, excuse me, those are first time investors that have to learn some of these things. Mm-hmm. Or at the end of the day, we'll say this a thousand times, hire a property manager. <laughs> I mean, just do it. Absolutely. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think you know this story, but speaking of renting to friends and it not going well and mm. them not taking care of the property, we rented to... Someone I will call, I'll loosely call a friend. Okay. Um, moved into one of our units. This was early on in our investing journeys. Um, nice guy, moves in. You know, year goes by, he pays rent on time. We see him here and there. No big deal. He goes to move out, and we learn he is a certifiable hoarder. Yikes. Yeah. And... Fortunately, it wasn't like you see on TV. There wasn't like food and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But there were pathways cleared to like different rooms. Mm. And he came to us because we were sort of friends, overwhelmed, like, I need to move out. I've taken this job in another state. I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know how to get out of this place because there is so much stuff. Yeah. And so then we ended up spending three days, bagging stuff up, taking it to Goodwill, organizing all of this stuff. And it was just like, if we had kept a degree of separation between the tenant and us through property management, I would not have spent those three days doing it because it was not something I enjoyed. The other thing is property managers are better at vetting. Absolutely. And so this is one of the things that first time investors do a lot of the time is they don't know how to properly vet or they don't know how to see the red flags or the Mm -hmm. writing on the wall. Right. So you may have like I remember when I rented out my first house and I was managing it, I had a window of two hours. Everybody come see the house that, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you can come see it, whatever. And so I thought that I was doing everything correctly because I know our property managers do that. I was looking at all of these people who are coming in here and I'm 
physically meeting them. I'm Mm -hmm. hearing their sob stories of who wants to live in my house. And of course, it makes me feel so good and warm and fuzzy and all these things. But as a first time investor, I'm like, okay, well, I just poured my heart and soul into this house. And so I want the best person for this, not even the person who's going to spend the most money on rent, but the best person for this. And looking back, that wasn't the best idea. No. You know, had I been experienced in this and had I had somebody else that, like you said, that degree of separation, it would have, I would have picked the correct tenants. But instead, I got too emotionally involved. And the second you bring emotion into investing and you really start connecting with the people, especially if you're an empath, kind of like me, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't work, you know? And you feel cutthroat at the beginning the first time you do it. But once you once you have a couple properties under your belt, you realize, okay, this actually is a business. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to the grocery store and telling them a sob story <laughs> of how I need these groceries cheaper. Right. I you need know? these grapes. Yes. <laughs> I need these grapes for my health. And you're like, the the clerk's not like honey you need those you're right i mean that's just not it's not the same let me give them to you for 50 cents (laughs) right exactly so that's not how this works um and so when you kind of realize that this is a business Mm -hmm. and this is how you're going to retire or how you're going to provide for your family or for your kids or you know pay for your kids college whatever the case may be then you're like you know what this is a business it absolutely is a business and i actually so i this probably feels like a bit of a commercial for property management at this point. Um, but I would actually argue, after everything we've talked about, that is the real number one mistake first-time investors make, is they don't think about it as a business. 100% agree. It's, you know, is it investing like stocks? Yes. Is it go throw your money in an index fund and never think about it again? No. Like, there are pieces to it, and you are building your portfolio, we can absolutely sub out you are building a business. Absolutely. So I think that's the takeaway is it's a business, run it like a business, don't get emotional, and don't focus too much on cash flow for your first properties because that's not what's going to get you there. Exactly. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you are listening, we have a YouTube channel to check out if you want to see what we look like. Um, If you're watching on YouTube, we also have a podcast, so check it out and listen. And, uh, of course, we have all the social medias, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, all of that stuff. So connect with us there. You know, we love to see who's listening. We can answer your questions and interact, which is super fun for us. Uh, So until next week. Thanks. Bye.